Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? Today, I feel it's important to give you a trigger warning because it gets very intense right from the outset, as you'll see. And I just want to remind everybody one basic thing to keep in mind as you're listening is this truth, which is that you can be born gay and white, you can be born female and white, you can be born transgender and white, but you can't be born a person of color and white. They are mutually exclusive. So I just want you to remember that, because recently, and this came after the recording, but it's relevant, Nancy Pelosi said, all lives matter in response to a question about black lives matter. Now, she knows better. She's not clueless to this. And there was a bit of a Twitter storm, but it's it's a non-issue. And that really hurts me deeply. Because at the same time, I feel like these resources that could really help make the world a better place, this outspokenness that the liberal left has to shut things like this down has been focused on something that makes me uncomfortable to even talk about. But we can't have a black man hosting the Oscars because 10 years ago he said homophobic things. Black men getting shot is not in the past. And Nancy Pelosi's talking about it like we need to address past grievances. So just remember... I know this is going to be a difficult conversation to listen to. It was for us to have. But it's an important one, and I want you to remember, you can be born gay and white. You can be born female and white. But you can't be born a person of color and be white. It is that heart of a line that exists in our culture. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. What's my thesis? What's my thesis? What's my thesis? Because, like, I th- I do feel like a lot of the whole thing with with um, with Hillary Clinton and and that that whole campaign was very much a bunch of white people telling me, "Buck up! You had your black president. Shut the fuck up! You don't get to complain. We're gonna keep going." And like, right? I th- I don't think that won them anything. You yeah. know, on the other end, you had this guy. Speaking really deeply to people's fears and anxieties, Absolutely. and and then on the other side, it was just like, oh, we don't like this dude, totally. you know. Totally. So so it's 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 crazy. I definitely think that uh, yeah that 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 white people who consider themselves liberal definitely yeah. need to check themselves. And, Absolutely. 
And I do. I, I think I'm just tired of hearing how progressive uh, Silicon Valley is. They're not. They're just not. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it. Like, we can't. Yeah. We gotta identify bullshit when it's happening otherwise it becomes truth you know and so so to say that like trust the system trust the system right right you know the system we've lost the electoral college twice why don't we do something about that instead of russia that system yeah and as a white person who gets all of those privileges that's why i feel i feel like this weight to be like okay let's check this you know i don't feel like it's people of color who need to be like hey why'd you say that or why are you doing that or why are you appropriating this thing or you know and so that's something that I do like to speak up about. Um, and I also like to recognize that there is a spectrum to where people land on the topics about this. And, and I, and I have had some really heated conversations on that topic and that's okay. And that's okay to be like, Oh, you don't agree. And this thing that you think is just like something cool to wear, I find that it's cultural appropriation and we're just going to have to move on because it's, it's, you're just not there, you know, and you're, you're not landing on that same topic. And no, definitely. And my, my tree practice, the meditation practice helps you be like, okay, they're just somewhere else with this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that. I think a lot of times people just get defensive because instead of their, well, essentially you're questioning their belief system and that's a very difficult thing to challenge. And, and when people, you know, and I've had to call out people where I was like, Hey, this makes me very uncomfortable when you say this, you know? And the initial reaction is very much of like, Hey, I'm one of the good ones. Totally. You know, like that's the reaction. Yeah. But, but then if you're lucky, they'll sit with it and they might come back later and be like, actually, you know, I thought about it. If you're lucky. Yeah. It happens sometimes. I, I adore my mom. She sometimes will say things that are what we would say outdated, you know, and I will call her on it and I'll be like, nope. You can't say that. And she'll mm. usually be like, yes, I can. And then I'll be, and then, and then a week later I'll talk to her on the phone and she'll be like, you know, I'm not going to say that anymore. You no. were right. And, and that's a nice thing is like, sometimes people are willing to grow. Yeah. Definitely. They just have to come to it in their own time. And so making space, like the, the, the meditation practice, the Maitri practice, it kind of gives you time to give them time mm-hmm. to say like, instead of like, why are you reacting? Just be like, oh, that's how they they're defending themselves at this moment and that's okay. Yeah. I planted my seed. They don't have to be in my space with this. They can like be in their own space with it. And, and yeah. it's tough. It's complicated. It's such a, it's, it's such a tough thing to talk to people about because, um, because yeah, it's, it, it's, <clears throat> I think one of the hardest things that people have going for them in that situation is they, want to believe that they are capable of that level of empathy and that in and of itself is problematic Mm. because you know there's just no way you can understand what it is to look muslim in a country that is especially now going for going against muslims and hispanics and all of that shit and so so it's like that can be hurtful and that can be uh a difficult thing to to confront because it's this it's a it comes from a place of privilege of like I can understand anything I have been told right, right? And, right. and whereas 
for us, it's a little bit like we've been told we can't be anything. <laughs> yeah. And then now you're now you're telling me you understand me too. Right. Well, you know, so it's 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 tricky. So is it a situation where it feels like there's this sense of appropriation of your experience? There's a, there's an invalidation Mm-hmm. to say that you can understand it yeah. because you, you can't understand it until you right. experience it. Absolutely. The, the, uh, so so it, it's a dismission. You're dismissing someone's experience by yeah. saying it's not that unimaginable or it's right. that, or, or like I can relate right. to it when it's like, right. no, you just can't, Absolutely you know, not. you're not, you're not embodied in that experience. No, you're not exactly. Right. And like, right. and it's an inescapable thing. Right? right. And, and no matter what, you're just going to be scary to some people, um, right. because they see that guy on the news. Right. Absolutely. And so, so it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's pervasive. So that's where, again, for me, coming back to this embodiment practice Mm -hmm. um, and what I mentioned just a little while ago, which is deep listening. So what's deep listening specifically? Like for example, what you just said, I will never know what Mm -hmm. it's like to be an African American woman. I will never know. I like all of the doors that have opened to me, would they be open to that person? I don't know. I think about that, you know, and all I can do is like you said, hear it and just say like, no, I I can't understand that for myself, but Mm -hmm. that sounds tough. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. And then uh, it's also one of those things where you get trapped in not being able to say certain things, right? Like, um, not everybody is always the weakest person within a dynamic, Mm -hmm. right? Not so like, for example, uh, Let's say a, you 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 go okay. A white woman is oppressed by comparison to a white man, right? But are there situations where a white woman has privileges that a brown man doesn't have, right? But then there are situations where a brown man has privileges over a white woman that right. she doesn't have because he's a man. So it's all these different like it's just a clusterfuck of like so, uh, rock paper scissor right. where someone. Where it becomes difficult to talk about those specific experiences without invalidating someone else's. It's just, and so like, right. Like, so there is a, like, for example, if a police officer is listening to me and a white woman, right. It depends on our demeanor, but I'm going to have to keep my cool <laughs> a yeah. lot more than them. Sure. Right. Absolutely. They're going to get away with yelling at right. the cop. Wow. They're going to get, you know. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that if I'm in a workplace and right. all my colleagues are men, right. you know, how right. do I slip in there? And right. then there's also the question of like, um, you know, because we're getting to the point where there are people, you know, for a long time we've had Latino um politicians. Yes. And they haven't all been the best. Right. Right. We've got Marco Rubio's. Right. Now culture has reached a place where there are people that are homosexual in yeah. positions of power that I don't agree with politically, yes. just as much as I don't agree with Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, right. right? And so there comes a time where, to some degree, male-white privilege separates gay men. 
right? right? right. Versus brown, gay men of color, you know, and it, and it's just like it, it's just a never ending hierarchy where you can't really tell who's on top ever. Right. <laughs> so if I can interject, I don't want to cut in, but so I think what we're getting into is intersectionality. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I find it problematic to try to look at it as a hierarchy because as you said, it's not, it's not. I think it's just context to context yeah. and yes, but some that situations limits the ability to speak about those things. And I think right? that's why we can't, I think yeah. we can't yeah. generalize. Yeah. I think we have to look at exact specific situations for, you gave an example. You said if the cop pulls over a white lady or a Latino, you know, let's look at specifics. Or let's say we have an interact, we have a, a disagreement, the two of us, I'm always going to have to keep my cool. Right. You know, right. Um, right. cause there's not a lot of white ladies getting shot. Right. Right. And so, so, but so, but like, but then I think that limits conversation, right? Because like, for example, there was a thing recently where Jeremy Corbyn said, uh, you know, he wrote something or he said something about banks being, you know, amoral or whatever, not, not really doing what's best for society. Let's just, I don't remember the specifics and he got called an anti-Semite. And now what is that? Is that saying that every single banker is a Jew, you know, so it's like smearing. So I think that a lot of times you can't even talk about specific instances, right, without that. And I'm and I'm all for PC. Like on the show, I, all I do is talk about how I do think that these like, and I take v- very good care to mind my P's and Q's, but it does get overwhelming, um, because there are things that happen that you can't speak about. Otherwise, you become this. You know, like if Absolutely. I say, if yeah. I say, I don't think Rachel Maddow is really good for the for the left. <laughs> you know, am I being homophobic? I'm not. Well, but can it be taken as that? Yeah. Do you I, think so? I do, mean, I think you're allowed to have a, an opinion about Rachel Maddow. <laughs> well, but then, but yeah, I think so. But then, um, you know. Then you get into like um, Gawker outed uh, the guy that that uh, ended up paying for the uh, Hulk Hogan lawsuit to put Gawker out of business. Okay. Now, okay, I guess I get it. It's not classy to out someone who's gay, but isn't that what like most of the media does anyway? Aren't we always calling Tom Cruise gay? Or, you know, so like, where do you draw that line? Right. Mm-hmm. He's a big, powerful white guy. Yeah. And he gets outed as a gay guy. Like yeah. it, it just, it, there's, you know, I couldn't get away with that. Right. I couldn't destroy something yeah. just, you know, and then that is that good for journalism? Uh-huh. Right. Like uh-huh. I, again, I'm not saying that Gawker is right, but that's not like unprecedented, you yeah. know? And so all of these little cultural things, like yeah. it gets very tricky when you, when you want to have an honest conversation yeah. Yeah. about what is actually happening and people start reacting like, oh, that's homophobic, you right. know? Like, right. okay, it's uncouth to out someone, but he's a public person, you know, like what makes him different than a celebrity? He's a, like, like, for example, if someone outed Elon Musk, yeah. um, he's a celebrity. Yeah. It's relevant. Yeah. You know, like it's not, and, and if he's hiding it, like, fine, that's, that's, that's a pri- like I, you know, there, there's like. There's a line that doesn't always get drawn, you know, and I think, and, th- and and then at the same time, 
this stuff is happening where, where you can't really call out like certain, like, for example, the, one of the things that I'm saying, like, uh, this Dave Chappelle got in a shitload of trouble uh-huh. for saying that he thought that the transgender thing smelled of white male privilege. Uh-huh. But there's some truth to that because it is white men that are trying to transition, right? Wow. But like, but so that's that intersectionality. They are, you know, mm. like... Well, you, that's what's visible. The white men are what's maybe more visible. But I do think that in the trans community, there are a, a lot, lot of, of people of color. There's a lot of people and of color. Lot of, and there have been for centuries and yeah. in the Philippines and all of that. Yeah. Why all of a sudden now that white men want to do it, right, right, right now right. that Bruce Jenner wants to do it, right. Bruce Jenner who ran over right. somebody, why is it all of a sudden valid? Like, right. so these right. are tough things that like, right. and I don't, and you know, I don't have anything against trans people getting their due. I don't. I'm all in favor of that. But let's also acknowledge that, you know, black people are still getting shot and yeah, nothing's being done absolutely. about that. You know? Well, if I can just, I think you're talking about many topics. Yeah. And I think that as a person in media, you want to be careful about what you're saying and how it's used. Yes. And I think all we can do, because I also, being an artist, it's about a front facing um persona essentially you know my instagram is not my life like no definitely i'm just posting surfing and my art and that's it like you do not see the down moments or whatever you don't see all of it and and i think we're all like curating what we put out there and my motive is just to 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 come at, at everything with the best intention and yeah. if I slip up, I'm going to own it and I'm no, going to apologize. Me like, too. oh, I, I, I said this thing and I didn't realize it was insensitive to this group because I'm ingrained in my whiteness and yeah. that's going to happen. And that has happened to me. And I was called out by my community and I owned it. And I went to, I went back to it and I said like, Hey, I didn't realize this was insensitive. I was coming from the place of looking for funding as a first generation American. And I didn't realize that it was insensitive to people of color by saying, by placing it that way. And so I owned it. And, and I think that's all you can do. And, and if you run from it and say like, I didn't mean it or, you know, and it's the same thing where it's like, I wasn't in the place when I had that moment to recognize that I was like stepping on someone with my questions and my actions. And then I was grateful to like, the other white people for pointing it out to me and then I owned it. But see, yeah, and th- and I think that like that's kind of what you know because even in that I I appreciate white people being allies. But there is a thing that happens there that ends up being a thing where people end up speaking for parties that wouldn't be otherwise heard. Mm. And that becomes problematic for me too. I hear you. You know, like like they'll listen to a white lady say that it's wrong to be bad, you know, but they won't listen to a black man, you know, like, and, and. Okay. But I, but I think that if I can just interject, um, I think that for me, I would give space to that person of color, but it is not their responsibility. It's not their work because they're already doing the work every day to live in this fucking society. So I'm like, if you want space to have, to have words about this topic, I will make you that space. However, you shouldn't have to sludge through this white problem. You know what What I mean? What do you mean? Sludge through the white. Like white person to white person, 
that's where that work should happen. Cause the people of color have to do enough work day to day just to live in this society. That's, I think where, yeah. that's where I think, for example, like my white friends that we talk about this kind of stuff with, we do it really intentionally. Cause we're like, yeah, we don't, we don't want our people of color friends to bear this burden of having this conversation cause it's work and it's hard and it's hard okay. on them. And I get what you're saying. And I appreciate that. However, in that, in and of itself, and, and this is like, I'm not upset at you. I'm just trying to point something out. <laughs> there is a privilege that you can take on other people's shit yes. in that way. I see. And so that is what's frustrating yeah. about it. Yeah. And the reason that you're allowed to take on that privilege is because people will listen to you. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And so, and so, so like, so for me, you know, here's another example, and this is maybe not a fair one, but like, cause, and, and again, most of the time on the show, I'm just talking about how I do think that all of this conversational and all this, like f- checking, uh, what words are said is very healthy and very, and, and in service of this. Yeah. Right. But then there was, there's a porn star, August Ames, who she did, a, she made a stupid mistake. She tweeted out that, uh, that she had discovered that the person that she had been hired to work with was a gay person that worked in gay porn and that she didn't want to work at, with them. Everybody called her super homophobic. The whole internet came down on her and she killed herself. Oh my gosh. And, and so, wow. so who is that serving? Wow. Right? Who, who, who's served by something like that? This is a person talking about how she, like sexual preference. She doesn't want to have sex with a gay man. She is having sex with women. So like, it's her body. Those are the things that are said. I don't think that what she wrote was right. I'm not defending that. Does the amount of hate that she got where she just felt like she lost perspective on everything and hurt herself? Is that like what the objective of fighting Mm. homophobia is? Mm. Did, was that a victory for homophobia? Mm. Against against homophobia to shame someone mm. for personal choice to not work with a certain kind of person. The mistake, obviously, to voice that opinion publicly. OK, I don't mind her getting a little shit, but they were just not easing up, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so it's it's all of these things are interesting to me, like. Um, mm. Well, this I think what strikes me is your use of the word shame, because yeah. that is a very huge element culturally, especially right now under this, um, presidential (laughs) situation, shaming and blaming is huge. And, um, there's an author I really like named Brene Brown who writes a lot about shame Mm -hmm. and that we're probably in a point where we don't really need to have shame culturally anymore. It's not a growth mindset. It doesn't say, it it's doesn't a, it, say what what happened. What can I learn? It's a tool for ostracization. Or it's, t- yeah. And it's yeah, it's it's just group negation. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't really and and the example that you use, I think, is incredibly problematic. The yeah. internet and its anonymity and its ability to to shame is a very volatile um, mm-hmm. tool. So yes, I think I think it's lovely that there can be these conversations. Um, Obviously, that one went deeply awry. I don't think anybody would say that's the outcome that, that they had hoped looking for. for. Yeah, and but again, you know, there's there's a book I really like called Mindset, and it's about how there's like this ideology that you are born 
with certain talents versus you can learn certain talents or you can learn certain things. Mm -hmm. And the learner says like, what can I learn from this situation? What can I, what, what is here? It comes to every situation with a curiosity. Whereas the, the stuck mindset, um, fixed mindset person is like, Oh, I know. I know what's right and I know what's in this situation. And I'm evaluating the situation based on what I know is correct. Exactly. And if we can all just kind of wedge that door open a little bit more in every situation to be like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. What, what, what can I be open to? Can I be open to your experience? Can I be open to their experience? Can I be open to their voice? Mm -hmm. Can I be open to like, yeah, deep listening. Maybe I don't need to talk. Maybe as like the white person in the room, the only white person, maybe I don't need to take up this space. Well, you're the guest. I need you to talk. No, of course. (laughs) And you're more than encouraged to. No, and, and this is a good conversation because, you know, you don't often have a conversation with a white lady about race. I, okay. I, I just, that's not something that I do very often. You know, it's not an opportunity that's presented to me, but, but because you said that you met that, that cultural appropriation and things like these matter to you, you know, it is, it, it, it is, uh, it feels like an opportunity to sort of get some of my frustrations with my place in the world. Uh, uh, um, because like, you know, I, I, I hate to hit on us the same point, like, over and over on episode after episode, but I do think that like the NPR listening crowd is very problematic for yeah. a lot of the reasons that we're discussing right here. Yeah. I think I think it is a brand and you can listen to it and you can feel like you are part of this community, but in reality, you don't know any Latinos, you don't know any black people, but you have empathy or sympathy for them. And it's a very condescending way to look at people, you know, like, and and people aren't self-aware enough to recognize it because the impulse is to sort of pat yourself on the back for being a good person. Right. Right. (laughs) You know? And so, so like, um, so when these things come up, you know, uh, like they are very hurtful. They 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 hit you in a very in in a in a place where you feel like you've been dehumanized. And then when you try to explain these things to someone, it, the reaction can be just as intense because they don't they didn't want to dehumanize. They want they didn't want to be the kind of person. But now you're telling them that they are. It's overwhelming. And then and then that makes the problem worse because now you're fighting about it Yeah. <laughs> about, you know, and it's like, well, no, I'm not saying you're a racist. I'm saying don't say this anymore because it hurts my feelings on a very, very fundamental level. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so, so it's, but I do think, I do think nowadays it's getting easier for, to call people out on that. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's always been that easy. And, and, I think that now when you confront someone on something like that, the expectation is that they're going to listen, whereas before it wasn't that way. Totally. So, so there has been some serious progress made. But, but yeah, you know, like what I am frustrated with is sort of this idea that we got our black president. That's over. We're not worried about race anymore. Now we're going for the women. Right. Fuck all of you. You, we got you, you're black president, you do this now, fuck all this, this guy that's promising, this other guy that's promising everything else that, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Like Bernie Sanders. I mean, I'm pretty sure most people of color were, remember 
Clinton fucked our world up for us. Like Bill yeah. Clinton, you yeah. know, like he, he, a lot of the shit that's happening now is, you know, is a direct result of NAFTA, all of these things like that. All of these, like they've sold us out. Yeah. And so when these white liberals who haven't felt the impact of these policies sit there and tell you like, hey, dude, like trust the system, vote for Clinton. It's like, okay, I did it. Now what? Now we got this asshole. Now things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. You know, so it's, it's, it's a very uh, difficult time culturally. I think that black people more than anybody are probably struggling. I think anti-Semitism is making a comeback oh my in, a, in a very re- weird oh, way. Yes. And, and, and that's because it's been allowed to by the Democrats mm. because they didn't. You know, they just said it was ugly. They didn't say, hey, we're going to fix these things. We're going to actually make your lives better. Mm-hmm. You know, and whereas this yeah. guy's like, oh, hey, fuck blacks, fuck Jews, fuck, oh, you yeah. know, oh, Latinos, yeah. you know. But then the, the like all of these, co- like, for example, you know, this, the, we made this caravan by fucking up these countries, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, oh, like. Yeah. These countries are unstable because we made them unstable. Absolutely. Syrian refugees are coming here because right. we bombed them. Right. And like, and, and then it's just this hatred towards these people who we hurt. Right. You know, it's, it's, it, it right. blows my fucking mind. Yeah. And I, and those are the things that I don't think people internalize. I think that when something like kids getting, uh, separated from their parents happens, it stirs up emotion in white people. Yeah. But, but But it's been like that, you know, it's, it's really not that much of a difference, right? Yes. Like, like it's, it's, it's not new. It's yeah. just the white people don't like the guy doing it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Obama was deporting people like fucking oh, crazy. Yes. Oh, you yes. know, he's bombing. He, he was called deport Obama. Like he, De- deporter in chief. Yeah. Yes. Right, 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 right. I just remember yeah. that nickname. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. but so teach me some embodiment practices <laughs> so that I can cope with all of this because well, I, I just, didn't expect this to, to come up like, you know, but yeah. like, but, but when we touch on subjects, like yeah. sometimes it's just like there, but, um, yeah. but yeah, like what could I do to sympathize <laughs> with the, with the, uh, white voter telling me how to vote? Well, if I, before we go there, <laughs> I was just wanting to listen and not cut in, but I just wanted to thank you for your vulnerability and oh, telling us that. about what you're frustrated about. Cause it's, it is hard. No, it's, it's difficult. Uh, you know, I have the privilege of having a show <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where I get to do it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually I'm a little bit more jokey. It must be like my mood today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lost my wallet, so I'm probably fucking. Oh. <laughs> well, but these are real, like they're charges. You yeah, know? definitely. And I don't know. If you, I don't know how you feel, but like, as we're talking, it actually causes like some tension in my chest Yeah, because I'm worried about it. Like I want your voice to be heard and I want people of color's voice to be heard. And I want to create an environment where that's a healthy dialogue and a healthy. No. And I, and I feel that definitely. I don't think that you're here to tell me how it is, Yeah, which is, which is therapeutic for me you know (laughs) yeah because i like like i said this is not a conversation i have with a lot of white women or have the opportunity to have it with them um and that is to say i feel where you're coming from because at the same time until this me too shit i didn't get it at 
fucking all. Wow. You like I had a sense of it. Yeah. But like just the fact that this is the first time that women are able to talk about their experience without being ostracized or without worrying about being defined by this one event, mm. you know? Um, yeah. I mean, Blasey Ford just fucking knocked wow. it out of the park. Wow. And that was really painful wow. to go through, right? Absolutely. So I'll let you talk a little bit more about this since it's more in your wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, I am reluctant to get into me too, cause I think that's really big and, yeah. um, I could speak to my own experiences and the biases in my life, but I also think that you have to get that. Personal. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really big and I'm glad that it's happening and I'm glad mm-hmm. that there's dialogue around it. And, um, I think that it's, it's kind of like, yeah, finally people, you know, but who's driving that? <laughs> Is it the politicians? No. Are driving the Me Too or what? Yeah, driving the Me Too movement. Uh-huh. Right? Um, no, I think it's cultural. I it's think it's cultural. larger. Yeah. And it's a reaction to yeah. that resistance that we're feeling, right? Right. It's... And, but, but I think all of the things, I think that you've gone on so many topics in this conversation. And I think a lot of it strikes me as this kind of reiteration of the white backlash. And it's a horrible... Thing that's happening with Trump's um, appointment. And it's just, it's reverberating on all levels. Yeah. And I think in some case, it's to some degree, I mean, it's hard to argue that the fact that Trump is in power is its own backlash, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. Um, so it's, well, it's one of those things that progress is just like, yeah. It, there is, you know, the, this utopian idea that we're all going to somehow agree is it like, I thought that was yeah. over in like the fifties, totally. you know, like totally. th- you don't see that in sci-fi now. All sci-fi is dystopian. Um, <laughs> totally. So, so it's, it's just this, like, it's really, I feel like there's this fundamental misunderstanding from the politicians with how things work. And uh-huh. like we got o- Ocasio-Cortez uh-huh. and they're yelling at her for like representing people. And then I saw that, like the reason that like you with her, her, her whole thing, like, um, the reason we're not seeing a lot of millennials run is because they can't afford to do it, mm, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right? And, and so that's mind blowing. Yep. So, yeah. So again, intersectionality, yeah. class, race, gender, status, all of these things come in for this crazy mess that we're in <laughs> and this crazy chaos and yeah, back to the like original topic. I think for me, the only way to really do it is like deep listening, giving space to it, giving space to you and your words, giving mm-hmm. space to my experience in this moment, which is like, there's a deep tension. And if I can recognize that that's in my body, I can say like, this is like, this is a deep cultural wound that mm. needs healing and it needs space. And but are you time. feeling tension because I'm making you uncomfortable? No, or, no okay. because because you're we're talking a, about something that's really hard. Yeah. And like you said, when in society do we have this conversation? No, ever, ever. It's incredible. Like, yeah. I'm so excited for us that we're doing this because <laughs> yeah. it's hard. No, it's not. I easy feel at vulnerable. All. You feel vulnerable. I yeah. don't know how you feel, but no, I, I do. hear I, vulnerability. I feel pain in my chest right it's, now just talking about this. Okay. Like I, I am totally. I'm an open wound right now because yeah. 
Because it is, it's, it's one of those things that like, like, I mean, I've already talked on the show how difficult it was for me to even vote this last vote because of all, because it's like all the things that you're not trying to address, take on on a day to day basis. And then all of a sudden you have to confront them all in one go and try to educate yourself on what you vote for. And then after you vote, it's probably better not to find out if you won or not, because it's going to hurt. You know, like prop 10 and all that shit. Oh my gosh. So absolutely. So I think, you know, back to the original topic, I do believe that if we can pull back and feel like Mm. in this very moment right now, just even acknowledging like this hurts in my chest. Mm -hmm. I think that if we don't even feel it, we tense around it. Yeah, I definitely. And we close and we close not only for our own bodies in our experiences, we close for each other. Yeah. And if in this moment right now we can say, this is hard. No, it is. It's a hard conversation. We're yeah. talking about things that make me really sad. Yeah. We're talking about things that I can hear make you feel really angry and sad and vulnerable. And, and I feel angry and sad and vulnerable. And that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. And I'm just going to acknowledge it. And I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm just going to loosen around it in my chest and I'm going to say, this is a hard situation No, and it's not going to get resolved tomorrow. No, it's not going to get resolved in this conversation. <laughs> not in this conversation, not tomorrow, maybe not for the next generation. No. And it is a part of culture that is painful. Yeah. And if I can acknowledge that and say that just is, it just is. It's not good or bad or... Nope, it just is. It's yeah. a part of this experience. Just like falling in love is a part of the experience. Just like having a good dinner is a part of the experience. This pain of these cultural wounds is there. Yeah. And I'm not going to ignore it with television. I'm not going to numb out with drugs. I'm going to just be with it. We can make some space for each other. Yeah. And we can say it's hard, it's hard on me. Mm-hmm. And if I have compassion for myself in this moment, I can have compassion for you. Because it starts with me being like, I'm feeling this in my chest. Mm -hmm. What is Javier feeling? Uh, Yeah, just disappointment with all of us. Right. (laughs) With all of us. Yeah. It's not them. It's us. Yeah. And it's in our own bodies. Oh, yeah. That's that's where the main, like, I'm not even angry at Trump supporters. Trump supporters are going to do what they do. Right. I feel I feel betrayed by my own people, the people right. that say they have my back. You right. know, the people that say they care about the things that we're talking about, you right. know. Um because it's their brand to do that kind of thing, right. you know, and that gets that 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 gets difficult. So yeah. But so how much how much breathing is involved in all of this? How much <laughs> uh how much what's it called? Like, how do you become more present or what is the process like? Like how, how, let's say you wake up in the morning and you don't feel good. What do Mm -hmm. you do? You just go straight, you straight, straight up lie down on the floor. Is that what you do? Well, let's use right now as an example. Mm -hmm. We both got like excited Mm -hmm. and arise and you could hear it in our voices. Mm -hmm. And when you go back to edit, it's going to be like really spiky, right? But even just... When we both just sat and noticed how we feel in our body, our voices came down mm-hmm. and we're able to like talk at a more room level. You know, that, that was the practice right mm-hmm. there in this moment, like 
you giving me space and me giving you space and coming down together and being like, okay, it's going to be painful and we're still going to get to a calm place together. Mm -hmm. That is the practice. So your next example, if you wake up feeling bad, oh, you know, the election morning, Mm -hmm. you wake up and you feel bad. You can do all sorts, you you can do any, you know, there's more on this list, Mm -hmm. but essentially it's just about opening to that experience and saying, this is a bad feeling and this is a bad day and this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And if you can get to the point of not even labeling it as bad, just saying like, this is a feeling that's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. This is a tension in my body. And I think for me, embodiment practice is really noticing that it, it does happen in your body. There's yeah. a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. There's another book called The Mind Body Code. These things that are, they happen in our lives, whether it's something from your childhood that was traumatic or if it's something culturally that's constant. Like maybe mm-hmm. maybe you walk down the street and you and someone flinches when you walk by. Like that's sad, right? No. You don't know them. Why did they do that? Or, you know... Or whatever, I feel fear because I'm a woman walking at night down the road. You know, mm-hmm. these things, we take them into our bodies. And I yeah. think we carry them and we carry our bodies differently because of them. And we present differently and we give ourselves pain. Mm-hmm. And I think just pulling back and saying, what, what's happening? What am I doing? Am I numbing out? Am I turning to Instagram to numb this out? Am I turning to a drink at the bar? Am I turning to drugs? Am I turning to sex? Am I turning to relationships? Am I turning to things that will distract me from what's actually happening in my body and culturally? Or am I being present with this because this is hard? Mm -hmm. And then I can be more present with it in the future. How long did you, how long ago did you start this practice? I, it's hard for me to pinpoint it. I guess it was about... I want to say five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So you had it for you during the election. Good for you. <laughs> I did, but it's, it's hard even during those moments because no, you still uh, knee jerk. Yeah, you still yeah. say like, no, you know, and you're like, no, no you still have emotional reactions. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough time to, I would, I'll say this. I feel more hopeful than I ever did during the Bush years. Really? Yeah, the Bush years were worse for me. Really? But I also lived in Florida, and and I was there okay. to lose both elections okay. <laughs> and feel plenty helpless. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I, I sort of feel, well, you know, it's, I mean, the Democrats are just as incompetent, competent as they were then, you know? And, like, in terms of uh, just being able to fight this, and we were still... Yeah. Okay, but yeah. I don't know. I like, uh, I do like what is happening in culture. And I do think that, like, for example, I feel like I have evolved from a, as a person from the things that have happened in culture, specifically Me Too yeah. and those things and women's marches and whatnot. Like, they're very, pa- it's a very painful process to recognize it, to acknowledge it, yes. you know. Um, but I do think that I am a better human being because it's happened and because I've been, it's happened in a way that I'm able to internalize it and recognize like, oh yeah, uh, this is someone else's pain that is constant. It's a cultural thing that, uh, makes us feel like we're not so absolutely different despite the intersectional differences, um, that can lead you to think that you are more different than each other. Well, thank you for doing that work. 
Oh, I mean, you guys did all the work. (laughs) (laughs) But you're doing your work, which is listening and making space for it and thinking about it and feeling it. I still feel we're taking credit for it, but I appreciate you acknowledging that. I will take credit for the work (laughs) I have done. But still, I think that (laughs) the credit goes to Blasey Ford and all those people because that is the fucking challenge to go out there and say, like, yo, this is, you know, this happened to me. Oh, my gosh. And all the death threats and all that bullshit. Like, that's... Oh, my gosh. I've never done anything like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But we each have our micro moments. Yeah. And I think that's all we have, you know? And there's a great book called Love by Sharon Salzberg, and it's Mm -hmm. all about micro moments, which is, let me just give you this moment of having your word. Yeah. Let me make space for this person. Let me go to the grocery store, and when I check out, like, actually making eye contact. You know, specifically about that, one of the things that I'm still like working on myself is to enjoy memories of moments that were good and not thinking about how everything turned out. Like for the easiest example would be to like enjoy moments that I had with an Uh ex-girlfriend that it didn't work out with. Right. And just be like, you know, to sort of be like, okay, this was a moment that was good the relationship soured all of that like it's separate from those two things it sounds like that might be uh, something of what about what you're talking about like this idea of not giving val well i think you're just talking more specifically about not giving things positive or negative value yeah but i think um i think it can be sort of difficult to isolate a moment and not tie it into the whole story the whole narrative of who you are in your life and how it impacted you but i can see that being something helpful to discard yourself from so a lot of embodiment practice is also about present moment awareness Mm -hmm. and what it's doing is it's saying what's happening now what's Mm -hmm. happening now and so for me if i get into stories in my head about exes it's a long long road (laughs) no it's hard i just try not to oh you don't even go there no I'm, I'm doing my best to just be here right now. Okay. And that is, you know, whatever, that's like a really big new age cliche, but that's kind of all we have. Like I feel strong. I feel healthy. I feel balanced. I feel present in this moment. That's all I have. Yeah. No. And and that's a good point because, you know, dwelling on old shit might also take you, uh, just put you in a reality that isn't real. Exactly. It's not now. It, yeah. It's whatever you're thinking is not, it's not, a, it hasn't, it's nothing. No. It's in the past. It's a fantasy. It's in your head. And being an artist, I think we all kind of have a lot of fantasy. Our like imaginations run. Yeah, and I, I love my fantasy realm. It's like the magicalest playland ever that mm-hmm. I could be in forever. But embodiment practice gives me tools to stay in this moment. And sometimes when you're in those fantasy lands, you know, that's a form of distraction and that's a form of, um, numbing mm-hmm. and it can escapism. lead escapism and, and it can lead to dissociation. Yeah. So if you're not able to be present in a, in a difficult situation, you're not going to process it. You're going to store it somewhere in your body. You're going to tense around it. It's going to lead to illness. This is what I think. I mean, this is obviously not like whatever. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Most Western doctors would 
just say that we're I was not averse crazy. to new age. I just had my tarot cards read. Awesome. So, so, so don't worry. We're, we're not, we're right. not science only here. Right. We're, well, we're, we're, there's we're, more and more crossover though. You know, there's yeah. studies that say that if you hold your shoulders back in certain ways, your, um, testosterone levels raise and your cortisol levels lower. There's some questions about those studies. What's cortisol? Cortisol is, um, your, it's your stress hormone. And testosterone is your confidence hormone. So these are studies that were held by Amy Cuddy's office, and they're now under scrutiny that maybe they're not really as spot on as they thought that they were. But I've noticed if I hold myself in an upright, strong, happy, confident position, Mm -hmm. I feel happy, strong, and confident. And so that's a part of embodiment is just saying walk the walk until you, you know, walk it until you are it. Fake it until you make it. Like be it until you are it. If you want to be... If you want to be treated like a fancy lady, dress fancy, you know, (laughs) you don't have to wear your scrubby torn up clothes. Yeah. You can dress fancy, you know, I mean, okay, there's some privilege in that conversation, but you know, it's just present what you want, own that, be that, do Mm. that, be in your body, be in this moment, stay present with it. And that has been really helpful for me moving into, you know, moving into a field that is not. Um, you know, I'm an artist. Nothing is reliable. No, definitely not. Nothing is stable. I have a contract. I don't have a contract. I have a gallery. I don't have a gallery. You know, everything is like... Do you have a gallery right now? I'm no, I don't work with one gallery. No, okay. not right now. Um, I just saw uh, your show. I just wanted to acknowledge yes, that on the radio. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Uh, the other thing, yeah. well, before we go off on, on a different tangent, I was like, I, I want to think how... Good are you at this? And at, and here's oh, the question. Here's the question. Good question. Okay. Are you able to stay present in rush hour traffic? Okay. <laughs> That's a really good question. This is um, a challenge. Yes. Okay. So um what rush hour does is it lets you do mindfulness practices. So what I like to do is of course my mind runs. Oh, when am I going to see this person again? And what are we going to cook for dinner? And you know, it's easy to do that, right? Do you don't listen to something to, while you're commuting? Sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. I do love audio books on audio, and I love. Um, right now, I'm listening to music a lot more, but um, those are distractions, also. Mm-hmm. So if I'm very deep in my meditation practice, I will not listen to anything in the car, and I'll do stuff like a body scan while I'm driving, mm-hmm. or I'll do like. I'll do like a thing where I look out the window and I'm like, oh, the tree is this really beautiful kind of green. What's that sagey, sagey looking bush over there? Or what what are the colors that I'm seeing in the sky right now? Those are ways to be present in the mm-hmm. present moment. Those are what people call mindfulness practices. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's a tool you can use in the car while you're driving. But how good are you at doing that? <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Does it depends. that time go by faster or slower when you get into doing oh, that? Oh, good question. Um... I think, I don't know. It depends. Depends on the mood. Okay. Depends on how much sleep you've had. <laughs> All right. Me. Um, depends on how much sleep I've had. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't find myself in traffic a lot because my studio is, I, I have a live workspace, so oh. I avoid it. Um, but there were a few years where I was in traffic a lot and I did that practice. I do need audiobooks. I can't just sit there and like look at all the trees for two hours, you know. <laughs> um, but I do want to step back and acknowledge that um, I'm not like signed with a gallery, but I do have a show at a new space called Ladies Room, which is for 
female identified and non-gender conforming people and Annie Wharton is running that space and I'm really grateful yeah, to that's, that's the show that I yes, saw that's yeah. the show and it's it's an artist in residency technically um, mm-hmm. she's not really trying to run it as a gallery at this moment but I think it's a, a flux situation so yeah. and I didn't want to just brush that off because I felt like I kind of was like no no no, 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 no yeah. that's fine yeah um can you turn on that light so we get yeah oh it's it's the down Oops. by the cord Right there. Yeah, there we go. Mm -hmm. Yay, now it doesn't feel like death is is looming. It was darky dusk time, huh? Well, for my, probably not so much for your angle because I have a window behind me, but... But you were backlit, so I couldn't see you. Oh, okay. So now this is better. (laughs) Yes, Now you've got a key light on you. Yeah. So I feel like we got to the core of it, but I just will say that there's a few other embodiment practices that I have studied, and that includes... Zero Balancing, which was created by this guy named Fritz Smith in the 70s. He was an acupuncturist and a um, chiropractor. Okay. Oh, sorry, an osteopath. And it basically is about slight readjustments of your bone structures because he believes that because matter is so dense in the bone, a Mm. lot of stuff is stored in the bone. Okay. Um, Again, it's like an alternative quote unquote practice, yeah. um, but it's another I, you, embodiment technique. You don't have to apologize. I kind yeah. of identify as a magician, so okay, <laughs> and I not love like it. illusion magic, but more like self deception magic, like wow. uh, postmodern occultism. So okay, yeah. So so Homo you're you're occult. safe here. No, you're not okay. being you're not being judged. I'm trying to be open to the unknown audience. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. No, so, I but I just wanted to make sure that you were that you understood that you. I was on board for that because uh, okay. you know because it. Like we are in California. That's true. And uh, as long as you're not here talking about crystals, okay, we're good. No, okay. I keep (laughs) I keep making a joke that I draw the line at crystals, knowing nothing about them. Okay, (laughs) just because it's such an arbitrary line to draw. It is, and it's it's. It's an easy stab, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's Crystals. in the zeitgeist. guys. <laughs> yes, it's in the zeitgeist. It's very Cali. People will know what, ta- what I'm talking about. Very SoCal. Yeah. 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 Um, another one that I really like is called craniosacral therapy. And that is That's like, not phrenology. No. <laughs> it's micro adjustments of your um, cranium and your sacral. And that's supposed to get your cranial fluid moving more. And so you go to someone and they do that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what is this a masseuse or just a specific kind it's of practitioner? It's a person that's trained and they'll be, they're a masseuse and they do this alignment, this adjustment. Um, so there are people, there are body workers that do yes. this alignment, but not all people that do this alignment are body workers or, or is it they body work? Are. Okay. Yeah. They usually do like multiple different kinds of body work and mm. that will be like one of the ones that you get done. Like reflexology and shit like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I do acupuncture. So that's another embodiment uh-huh. practice actually. And then another one is called Jinshin Jitsu. And it's like this ancient Japanese practice that um, actually a friend's mom has been practicing since the 70s. And that was my first embodiment experience. Uh-huh. And she actually, during that time, what it is, it's it's kind of like acupuncture without the needles. But she like comes and she holds, your hands have a lot of those points. She was mm. holding my hands. She was holding my torso, my legs and my feet a little bit. And during that session, she was like... She said to me, you um, are holding a lot of fear um, from your maternal lineage. And it's because where your family is from was often um, dominated or oppressed by another country. Mm -hmm. And it's your work to release that fear. Okay. That kind of spurred me. So this is... um 
a, a fear that's genetically handed down? No, it's more energetically handed down. She was suggesting like, okay. you know, acupuncture is about chi. Yeah, but is it is yeah. it? But it comes from your parents and your parents' parents or your mother, so and because you said could, lineage. So we don't really know that much about g- g- genetics. Yeah, it's no, still I this know. like huge gray void. That's why I'm not assigning it to genetics. But okay. she, what she was saying that it's on my maternal line, which is the check, which is the, the check line. And it's because there's a embedded fear that came from cultural experiences of your past that's what she was saying yeah yeah so often for example the czech culture it lost its language for hundreds of years really yes and scholars had to rebuild the language and reteach it to the people because it was dominated by i did not know that that's fascinating yeah, yeah yeah and more recently my mother was raised in communist time and that was very hard on its people a lot of paranoia a lot of fear so i saw the effects of that directly growing yeah. up but but what she was saying was that it's a much longer lineage did you, when when did you guys come over as refugees no so my because i'm cuban so yeah. uh communist refugees okay are my parents as well that's why i was asking yeah but, uh so uh how did the, how did your family come over so my mom was when she was younger she was like i definitely have to get out of here and she found an american and she had a baby nice. with him who is my adoptive father he's not my biological father okay she then had an affair with somebody else i'm the child of that affair so okay. i have an adoptive father i don't i identify with both of them to some extent and uh-huh. i also kind of more identify with the maternal line in a lot of ways too so okay yeah cuz i have a pretty mixed family yeah. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's interesting to like know that you came from an affair. Yes. <laughs> how how old were you when you found that out? This is another whole story that maybe we'll have to do another <laughs> podcast interview about, but I was 27. Okay. And that seems age appropriate <laughs> at, it, at the very least. I I actually would disagree. I think that children of um other parents should be told as they are growing up. Okay. Um, I think that it was a mistake, but under the circumstances, what had to happen in my family, um, my dad was sick. He passed away when I was 11. My mom had a brain tumor. Uh, There was a lot of illness. So there wasn't a lot of clarity and there was no, there was very little stability. So they had passed by the time that you found out? No, my mother lived through the brain tumor, but, um, she had a lot of other kind of weight on her shoulder being an immigrant single mother. Um, and some other things that I don't, yeah, you don't I don't to want to out her about. So yeah, um, no. she decided to tell me like right as she was kind of going through another operation where uh-huh. I was suddenly the attorney at will. So there was a chance of her not living. And so then she thought, well, why don't I get this off my shoulders? Oh yeah. So, and also <laughs> it turned pretty out, pragmatic. <laughs> yeah, oddly I had just moved from New York city to Providence, Rhode Island, where I was embedded in a really strong art community. Uh-huh. Um, but he happened to live a couple miles away from where I lived. So I kind of intuited to go move there. And then I got to know him and he's a professor at RISD. Uh-huh. And, um, Oh, what a coincidence. Yes. <laughs> what a coincidence. So the first year he was just, we, the way we would hang out is he would paint my portrait. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, then I would like hang out at his studio and it was great. It was an incredible experience. It was pretty tough to have a huge life shift at that age. Yeah. No. Well, I, my parents got divorced at 28 and that was pretty tough on the family as yeah. well. Like I think, I think, yeah. uh, expectations are set and uh-huh. when they're shattered, it can be pretty rough. Yeah. 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 
I really identified with my dad that raised me and yeah. I'm so grateful that he was the one that raised me. So yeah. So anyways, it's a, it's a cool, weird story, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Jinshin Jitsu was the birth of my interest in embodiment. Uh-huh. And that's how I was told I would release a lot of this fear. And that's the pressure points, yeah. holding mm-hmm. the pressure points. Mm-hmm. And then it was the MBSR and then some workshops. And I've even done like some breath work workshops, which is fun, like mm-hmm. re- rebirthing breath work. Um, What's that? You, so you do this like really heavy breathing. And mm-hmm. it's actually a practice that was kind of started right after the LSD therapies in the 70s. Okay. Once that got outlawed, people went into, it's called, I think I wrote, yeah, holotropic breath work. So you like breathe so hard that you kind of go into a psychedelic state. Let's do it right now. Oh, no, I I am not a (laughs) practitioner. I'm not going to lead you down a really intense road because it's intense. Um, But there's also this belief that you can, like, um, go back to your birth and, like, see what happened during your birth. So And have you... I did do a workshop, and I had an experience that was very interesting. I'm not going to give away too much about it, but... but it sounds traumatizing. It Is was it... No, it was really helpful for me, because it was after I found out that my dad was not my dad. Mm. And so I was able to see, like, all of my ancestors in the room when I was mm-hmm. born holding me. Mm. Because when you find out that you are, like... Okay, essentially, if you're the child of an affair... You are the object of, sorry, you're the object of, um, a disruption of the nuclear family. And, and I, I knew that my whole life. I didn't know I was the object of an affair, but there was a lot of tension around me. There was a lot of Mm -hmm. arguing. There was a lot of adult kind of hush tones. Yes. Like a lot of lies and deceit. Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to reconcile that for myself, whether Mm -hmm. this was like, a breathing hallucination or like me really feeling that my ancestors all welcomed me. Mm -hmm. There's something very comforting in that. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So, you know, we all have to process our experiences in different ways and, um, breath work was helpful for that. And then there's another thing called Janzu, which is a water shiatsu therapy, which is also a kind of rebirthing therapy. You're like held underwater in salt water and you're like pulled around and dragged around. And like, it's a massage and it's kind of like Reiki and a rebirthing all at the same time. It's incredible. (laughs) There's this amazing woman. Um, her Instagram is called Aqua Odyssey and she does it on an Island off of Rhode Island called Block Island. Uh Uh-huh. And it's incredible. <laughs> and then now I feel like meditation, the body scan and surfing are my main embodiment practices and doing stuff like talking with you uh-huh. and being present. Yeah. Well, I guess this would space. be one of my embodiment practices for sure. Totally. Cause, yeah. Cause uh, I cap them at three hours. <laughs> Whoa. Like, well, depending on what people have, you know, obviously yeah. it's starting to feel like we're heading towards a wrap up, which yes. is fine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but some people come in and they have like enough to go for three hours, which is why I cut it off at three hours. Oh Cause if gosh. not, it goes on for four. Wait, who wants to listen to a three hour long podcast? I break it up into two. Oh, yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I max out at like an hour. No, an hour is pretty intense. Yeah. But then the second episode usually ends up being a little bit more off topic and a little bit like, like, cause if, you know, if you come in here and I just interview you, you're going to get maybe caught up a little bit in like 
selling who you are yeah. and telling me who you are. Whereas when you talk about something you're interested, we get a better picture. Yeah, it's a really good idea. Yeah. But then from there, then on, we just kind of like get acquainted. And so mm-hmm. in the second episode, it's like when we get like yeah. <laughs> into the outer spacey stuff. Well, I would say this was an embodiment practice. Mm-hmm. And I think both you and I in this space kind of resonated on a cultural pain that we both feel. Yeah. And I think we both went on a journey. Mm-hmm. We like got into this little ship, which is yeah, your yeah. spaceship of your podcast. <laughs> and then we both found that we both experienced something intense. Yeah. It was pretty intense for sure. Yeah. And I think that is a really beautiful thing to have gotten to. No, absolutely. Yeah. I feel a little healed. You feel relieved? Is that what you said? I, I feel healed a little healed. bit. Healed. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on. Thank you for having me. Is there anything you would like to plug? You said you you have your show that's at the the Bendix building. That's right. It's Ladies Room? Right. Okay. 502B. 502B, Bendix Mm -hmm. building. Mm -hmm. What is it? Something something Maple? 1206 Maple Ave. Yes. 90015. And I think it's just up for December 2018, in case you're listening to this in 2025. (laughs) (laughs) Should there still be a planet? You never know. (laughs) I feel in my body there will be, but who knows? (laughs) Thank you for having me. No problem. All right. All right.